I'm in a college. We're in a college town, right? It has to. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if Cambridge is, you know, more or less college town like College Station. I think they're opposite ends of the so-called political spectrum. Yeah, I have actually never been to College Station. I have been through College Station. No, I avoided. Yeah, I think when when I went to Dallas one time, I went to Austin. Is that you go through Dallas? I think you could get to Austin, like Houston, Austin, through College Station. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that one. I think it's so. As far as I'm remembering, it's like Houston, Austin, and like if you went from Huntsville to Austin, you'd have to go through College Station. Mm, I've gone to Huntsville once. <laughs> What'd you call it? Huntsville. Okay, I definitely misheard you. Oh, did you get <laughs> it definitely sounded like you said Huntsville. <laughs> um, like my grandparents lived there when I was growing up. It was like mainly retirees and uh, felons. So, yeah. yeah. Don't be so mean to the students. <laughs> oh, no, Josh would be upset. No, he no, would, he's a, I, oh, yeah. he's, no, he's a Sam Houston. Yeah. Is it Bearcats? I don't know. Are they? But he is, he is a Sam Houston alum. Nice. So. And what's their mascot? No, I don't know. It's like the... Pumas. No, oh, they is, are Bearcat. It's it is Sammy Bearcat. Bearcat. Sammy the Bearcat. Oh, it would be Sammy the Bearcat. Yeah, because it's Sam Houston. All right. Yeah, we just have Sasha and Shasta. Yeah, we got Bevo, the Longhorn. Oh, Bevo. How many Bevos have there been now? I don't even want to. I don't know. And I don't know what happens to the animal after it dies. So I just have thoughts that I don't really it's it's kind of interesting coming from the perspective of going to University of Houston because we can get into the zoo, like the Houston Thank Zoo, you. free because yeah. that's where the cougars are kept. Yeah, that's I where. Mean, I see Sasha. Yeah, that's where Shasta and Sasha are kept. They used to be kept on campus, but they kept dying really quickly, so they ended up moving them to the zoo. I wonder, maybe like over sensory, like. Oh, it's like dealing with a bunch of college students passing by every single day. Oh my gosh. And then, I mean, did you, so you you went to UT, you're a UT alum. Did you go, did you ever hear the U of H UT story of why U of H has our hand sign? So what I heard is that... It's y'all's fault? The UT, yeah, the UT (laughs) people were making fun of Sasha because she had lost it. Cougar had lost a finger or something. Yeah. So they were doing this. <laughs> I also heard it was like the way of like flicking off the UTers. Um, so so I, I'm interested to hear what story you've heard. So or it's definitely, know, we correct. we were always told the Lost Paul story where it's like during homecoming, they would bring out Shasta and Sasha and like have them go across the field. Um yeah. But at one of the homecoming games, it was against UT, and like while they were getting there, Sha- uh, Shasta had gotten his paw, one of his paws, stuck in the cage and ended up losing a finger or losing losing a toe bean. Oh. And so, oh, because U of H used to be yeah. like it used to be a claw, it used to be a claw. Yeah. And then he oh. lost a claw. So that's why 
So UT did this, and then according to history, um, or myth, or legend, or however it goes, I don't know, way before my time, um, the following year, U of H had beaten UT at homecoming. And so, as recompense, the entire U of H crowd and team all held up the broken paw, and the rest is history. Wow. So it's all y'all's fault. There is a certain amount of, like, animal cruelty when it comes to mascots. Is it, like, all of the Aggies that hate UT for no reason because y'all don't even, like, they don't even play each other anymore. At least not in football, as far as I'm aware. Well, I think now, football-wise, there's a huge controversy that there's conversations, at least there's, like, leaked conversations that UT is trying to get out of the Big 12 conference and move to the SEC, where A&M is playing now. Um, so there's there's a huge push to for A and M the A and M rivalry game to be back, but the only way that can happen is a conference. Hmm. But yeah, it's like A and M always that's had their like song as like you're gonna get out of me, and that's it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Better Left Unsaid, the uh, awful, terrible, taboo conversation topic podcast where we, you know, bring light to some of the worst things in the world to talk about and make everything a little bit easier. That's the goal, at least. Um, Today, I have a very special guest, a very old friend of mine, um, Sam. Hi, Sam. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me on set. I'm excited. I'm terrified, but mostly excited. Oh, if you're not terrified, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> well, have I mean, have you listened to some episodes? Sometimes yeah. people haven't, so you know, uh, you know what you're in for, at least to yeah, some extent. I remember, I remember when you started. I was listening to some of the, the first ones, and the topics are interesting. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. It's things that I'm like, oh, I should not talk about this in front of my mom. But Everything from <laughs> dating and love lives to shit, literal shit. Um, yeah. Huge congratulations on, you know, this, this podcast. It's really awesome. Thank you. We have, I think, a thousand downloads or 12,000. I, I don't know. It's not too much, but you know what? Maybe one day it will be. I guess my goal at the end of the day is not to be popular, just to, you know, get what I feel out and welcome to my therapy session. Love it. So, you've listened to the podcast, so you know how we start we always start off with an embarrassing story. Sort of lighten the load because we all know, despite no one talking about it, everyone goes through the same exact shit. Everyone has the same exact embarrassing stories. And I just want to hear them. So, do you have an embarrassing story for us? Sure, yeah. You know, I'll keep it in theme. You told me this was uh, politics. So, uh, I'll keep it in theme for my embarrassing story. So, for everybody who's, who's listening, um, I have a background in advocacy. I'm a graduate student at the Harvard Kennedy School of Government and studying public policy. So I'm a bit of a nerd, kind of boring, but, you know, we spice it up by playing video games and watching it. So one of the interesting, <laughs> more embarrassing stories that uh, happened to me was, you know, I was a little teeny bopper in D.C. I was about, like, man, early 20s, well, like 21, 20, I think. Uh, and I was uh, walking around the Senate building uh, because there was this huge push to try to pass legislation to provide 
uh, a path to citizenship to undocumented uh, people, especially young people who, you know, I've lived here the whole life, but have no pathway to citizenship. You know, immigration 101 is if you're in this country, undocumented, and if you're here for more than a set amount of days, you know, about a year, you've locked out of a citizenship, and you are actually penalized by not being able to apply to citizenship for 10 years. So that's like a seventh of someone's life. Like if you think Yikes. about like sentences, 70 years, locking someone out for any process for 10 years is seventh of a person's life. So, you know, I was super excited to be in the Senate building. There was a super important vote mm-hmm. under the Trump administration. And the senator uh, from uh, uh, Maine uh, was, you know, walking around and I saw him. lighten the load at least from my perspective and outsider's perspective if i had written a bill and some advocate came up to me and said hey you need to support this bill i would feel flattered as hell i'd be like oh my gosh thank you i actually wrote that bill i'm so glad there's advocates out there for it oh yeah yeah, of course but you know like thinking back at it it's like when you're like brand spanking new to like dc you feel like a small fish in a yeah. And I was just like, you know, this man was awful tall in me, so I would be just like, I was looking up to him, and oh, hello, sorry, big mistake. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I I feel like you probably got off pretty scot-free, <laughs> even if it seemed like a very hungry shark was looking at you kind of stupid. <laughs> but, you know, we live and we learn. Now, do you carry around a checklist? Just so you don't, just so you don't run into that problem anymore. Oh, now I do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I quickly learn. You're gonna learn people's faces. I'm horrible with names, so that was one thing that I had to get over with. Um, but yeah, that that's uh, engraved in my mind too. Like I always know, and and a lot of these people look the same too. So it's like I may have thought it was someone else. Maybe I knew it at the time, but you know, it's it's just the, at the moment you sort of freeze and don't and don't know what to. Do. I mean, I imagine at least. 60 70 percent are just old white guys so you know looking the same isn't too hard yeah yeah that's no, true yeah it's not very diverse up in the at least not yet not yet hopefully that changes we're getting there at least the country is more diverse the census came out and i think we're and for the first time the non the the white population that's like not hispanic is less than percent which it had been previously i so don't I think, you know, hate that yeah and in texas it's a huge uh 
Hispanic uh, population and creeds, you know, which you know, it's not surprising, or uh, uh, like a more like ethnic state, even though some people may not want. It's kind of interesting thinking about that, um, just because you think about how Texas is a southern state. A lot of times, there are a lot more right-leaning ideologies here, and you think about how diverse Texas is compared to like other states, compared to like a state in the Midwest. Oh yeah, and to think of, to think that people are still having crazy issues with immigrants and with diversity and like i don't know that drives me wild yeah i think it just comes down to what we te- what we, we teach in schools right what oh we yeah tell people and i think perceptions and narratives and stories are are really true and i think i love texas i've been away from texas for uh too long you know i worked in dc now up here in boston so i'm getting closer to canada than i am to North mexico uh and texas is an amazing state you know i think we have a great economy, we have a great history. People hate us because we're proud to be Texans, and I love that fact. <laughs> um, but I think oftentimes we're, 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 we don't teach enough about other about the many colors of people who oh, yeah. have been really important, are really famous, and have made our state a lot, a lot stronger. And we're got, you know, I think as people like you and I get older, and uh, the next generation, you know, starts. Uh, getting older and sort of speak up, I think that would definitely change. And I think with any change, your podcast is uncomfortable, so we have to talk about it. And the more we talk about it, it become normalized. Like I think about um, just a few years ago, where it was okay to smoke in a restaurant, right? Yeah. Like that fact blew my mind. That like not too long ago, you can walk into a restaurant and when people were smoking inside. Now, if you're smoking and there's a child around, people are going to look at you like, "What are you?" Right. That is wrong. And I bet that. There were people who, at the time, were saying, you're, you're, you're taking away someone's freedom to, to smoke. Like, I bet someone said that. Or there was some argument against banning it. But now, you know, X amount of years after, for us, is a norm that you just simply don't do that. And I think when awkward and embarrassing stories, like, you know, what I experience sometimes, I think those are necessary to, to push people. And not everyone is going to be in agreement. I think that's something that I learned very, very, like, agreement is not 100%. Sometimes people are left. You have to leave some people behind. Their ideologies will die through generational change. Mm-hmm. So, sort of, what initially got you into politics? I know, sort of, being an immigrant, I imagine that had a sort of heavy weight on that. Yeah, yeah, I think that was the impetus. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think um, okay, I'll give you two answers. I'll give you like the like the the one that I think is the truest and then I'll give you the one that's like more than likely why I ended up doing it. Uh, I'm a Mexican American immigrant who is a gay man <laughs> and I think growing up in Texas there was um, I was very fortunate not to have experienced discrimination but I definitely saw people being discriminated uh, and I really think that uh, seeing marriage equality uh, you know thanks to the Supreme Court uh, giving that landmark decision that the same sex get married if I was right when I uh, was graduating high school also growing up as an immigrant uh, most of the time I was, I was ashamed Spanish so I grew up with like a, a deep uh, dissatisfaction that I couldn't be myself and I think mm-hmm. at the end of the day politics and governing is about ensuring that every single person feels comfortable as in, in their uh, in their country and my theory is if you're paying your taxes and you're kind to people then you should do whatever the heck you want. 
Right, right. Uh, and then the other reason why I got into politics, I didn't get into the engineering programs that I wanted to get into. <laughs> UT accepted me. I was like, oh, great, this is what we're doing. Maybe I got to go through college. <laughs> so that's the other reason that I, I think I got into politics. I am in a similar boat as far as the engineering goes. Um, <laughs> I remember going to orientation and them splitting off all the different engineering subgroups like petroleum and mechanical and I had intentionally signed up for mechanical. I get to orientation, they don't say my name at all when they're splitting oh, people no. off. So they split everyone out and they're like, okay, everyone's still in this room. Y'all are what we call engineering unspecified, which means you have to try a little <laughs> bit harder to catch up to everybody else. And I'm yes, sitting there yes. sort of like full on, you mentioned anime, full on anime style, like shadow crosses my face. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm too stupid for engineering. <laughs> Funny enough, I realized that that was probably true. I am not huge with math, nor yeah. did I ever want to be. And I also realized that it's not what I wanted to do. I ended up yeah. searching and finding out that I wanted to be hands-on and I wanted to make things. Mm. And the ID program ended up, the industrial design program ended up suiting that need. Yeah, you're a hands-on, hands-on learner. You're a, you're a doer. I like um, to make yeah, shit. Yeah, I think, you know, definitely I could tell that, like, that was, you know, probably, like, super embarrassing and super, like, Oh, it's like a shot at your own personal uh, confidence. And oh, 100%. Also that experience, too. Like, I, I applied to UT Engineering. I wanted to go to UT. Like, I wanted to go to Austin. That was my goal. You know, at the time, I had come out. Like, things weren't going great. I was like, Austin's a city. So, I, you know, when I didn't get into the degree, it was like, sorry, you didn't get into the school that you wanted to, but you were accepted to UT overall. Here's some other majors you can pick. I was like economics, like what can I do with an economics degree? Also, being first gen, like what the heck is a major? You'd be like, a stockbroker. No you like, yeah, everyone's so worried about their major, and you're like, no one really cares in the outside world, right? <laughs> I think it's funny having gone to the architecture school. That is always the first on the list of majors. So the first semester is always the big weed out process of weeding out students, and half of them are architecture majors because it's at the top of the list. Oh, so people just pick A. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's how I won one, one time, like, in high school when I ran for, like, school parliamentarian. So this day, I don't even know what a parliamentarian does. I didn't do anything. And it was, like, senior year, and I, you know how you, like, campaign and mm-hmm. stuff? I didn't do anything. I, <laughs> I, I made posters that were in my locker for a year that I never put up. <laughs> and I ended up winning. And I think the reason I won was because my last name was Cervantes. So it was the number one option. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, so though. Honestly, though. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Brinkman, I guess that would put me pretty high on the list. But every time I tried to run for any sort of office, I did not get anywhere. It was very much a popularity contest, and half the people who were popular I thought were idiots. So... You know, there we go. Well, you should try to run for real office. High school office didn't really matter. And that's one thing that, like, I always encourage people to run, regardless of, like, if you care about politics, because so few people actually do run. And a lot that's of these true. people that are in office for ages is because they're not contested. And, you know, it's hard 
those years, but if you're constantly running against someone and that goes on the news, eventually, like, energy would be there enough to, to beat this person. And oftentimes, in state-level elections, local-level elections, you're not talking about a huge margin. You're talking about maybe 500 people, 1,000 people in an election. And that, to me, is wild. Well, I mean, I think especially this past six months or so, um, just alone, bef- like after 2020, has shown that local elections matter. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I don't know how aware you are with what's going on currently politically in Texas, but it's a lovely shit show. Yeah, we got mass mandates, uh, and issues. All the major cities saying "fuck your max, fuck your mask mandate," which I live yeah. for. I live for. Hey, let's you know do our job as as public servants and serve the public and make sure that people are safe instead of not. That's the goal, though. Yeah, that to me, it's like so incredible because Texas, uh, like the Texas legislature, meets every two years and they meet for like about five months. I think don't quote me on that. It's just a short amount where they have to do the budget and pass lost right yeah so like they scramble every two years to do something and texas has this big anti-government and like pro self pro liberty mentality that mm-hmm. i think oftentimes there isn't an infrastructure to do anything there isn't like this is why texas ranks so low in education and that to me is it's wild but we have a really strong economy but if our people are not being educated then actually that to me i'm just fearful that at some point it's going to Kind of catch up with with us, and especially education in uh, in minority poor areas. Like you know, I didn't learn. Eng- I learned English in school. I was really lucky. I was like one of those kids that was plucked out because I picked pre AP. Yeah, and there was many students who were smarter than me in class who didn't pick pre AP, and then just went went off the website uh, wayside. Um, but yeah, we just have no government here, and so I just think it's really funny that you have an attitude dictator-like governor who says you can't institute mass mandates when there's increase in COVID cases. Meanwhile, they're more concerned about asylum seekers coming to the border and blaming them for an increase of COVID cases. Oh, yeah. Whereas a year ago, Greg Abbott did not believe in COVID. Like None of the state Republicans believed in COVID, but people started dying. I think that's the thing that has always sort of bothered me a little bit, just with some media coverage of everything, I think for me, I have a hard time believing that some of these people believe what they're actually saying or fighting for. Like, how much do you think people on the right actually follow those ideologies and believe that versus know what they can gain from it? So they follow it at face value just to maintain control. Yeah. Yeah, and I think all, and I think now what we're realizing is, you know, the Republican Party at least is becoming just an anti-left party. Yeah. So it's just like whatever the lefties are saying. And look, I'm also disgruntled with the Democratic Party. Like I'm not happy with the Democratic Party, mm-hmm. but as the person I am, and like I'm more likely to support support them. Um, I do have some like libertarian ideologies too. Like leave me alone. <laughs> right. <laughs> like let me do what I want to do, but I'm also very concerned. Like, I see, I see, like, the, the constant fight of personal liberty over community welfare, uh, the, the, the welfare of our community. I, like, I truly understand that. But when you have a party who's just anti-everything the other party says, 
like masks. Like masks should have never been an issue if, you know, the previous president would have cared a little bit more about COVID than trying to steal an election. Right. Would have been a big, big picture, like a big change. Yeah. Or hiding in a bunker because they were, he was scared of some protesters who were concerned about police brutality. Right, right. Or then tear gassing those protesters to take a picture in front of a church with an upside down Bible. <laughs> but you know, he's totally a Christian. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So, you know, we've been chatting a little bit about politics so far. What do you think makes politics diff- difficult to talk about for most people? You know, we see it all the time where people will be like, yeah, you know, I'll chat about anything, but I don't want to get into well, politics. Politics. Because it's uncomfortable because politics is value-based. Mm-hmm. Everything comes down to the, your values. So whenever, and, and oftentimes we all have the same values, right? I feel like if I were to talk to a Republican and I express individual liberties, I think we would agree about individual liberties. But oftentimes it becomes really uncomfortable when those values intersect with identities and when it's the identities of people who are minorities becomes really, really difficult mm-hmm. uh, to talk about uh, these issues, and that's why they're like, you know, they're topics that you people recommend don't bring up when you're just meeting someone new. Yeah, I uh, understand. I think I also struggled too, like you know, when I was finding my political identity, almost finding my values, where it's like, can I have friends who are conservatives? Can I have friends who say, well, like I don't think you should get married, but I love you. You know, that's one line that I told myself very quickly that I was in to cross. Yeah. Um, you know, this country uh, has a lot of people, so there's going to be a lot of ideas. But I think the more comfortable we get with making politics not a taboo subject, because I think if we equate it with taboo, people don't want to engage. And, mm-hmm. and that's what's concerning to me, that if we don't want to talk about politics, or politics is, oh, you're, you're too loud because you bring politics, or you're too political. It's like, what do you mean we're too political? Like, the foundation of this country is born out of protest. Yeah. That's, you know, we, that, that's protest. The Boston Tea Party is a protest. You know, that, that is the foundation of, of, our, of who we are. And then you want to stifle conversation to that because it's too uncomfortable to talk about that. Because I don't want to talk about my granddaddy's history. Yeah. Or I don't want to acknowledge... Uh, you know, discrimination. And look, I, I'm, I'm brown, you know, I'm Mexican-American. I, you know, I'm a man. I can acknowledge my privilege. Yeah. Because I have privilege too, even though I may not have more privilege than other people. But because I've gone and had this uncomfortable conversations with myself and I've said like, oh boy, like I am Mexican-American. I'm, on, I'm an immigrant, but I have been very lucky to be educated. Yeah. So when I'm on the phone, you know, I can speak a certain way and I can demand things a certain way that people who have an accent may, you know, people are going to support them. But, like, I think hearing that accent, you automatically think, like, oh, you're not from here. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who are U.S. citizens, especially in Texas, who, you know, they're maybe the stronger language is Spanish. And, you know, going back to your conversation about language, like, if we don't acknowledge that Texas is a multi-ethnic state, yeah, right? Like, Asian Americans, Indian Americans, you know, Black Americans, like, we are very, very diverse. So that's why the conversations are difficult. Because okay? if you live in, in isolated communities that don't often speak to each other, having a conversation that for one community may be really important and for the other one, this is it because they don't want to talk about history. That's where the discomfort comes from. I think there is also, on that same line of thinking, there is also uh, p- 
people put great value behind their own personal identity or their perceived identity based on their race or their culture. Um, And I think, you know, as someone who is white, who's Caucasian, I, it's the same sort of thing of acknowledging that I have privilege where others don't. And the idea that me being white makes me bad or makes me, that's not the point. You know, that that's not the point anyone who's talking about privilege is trying to make. The point is yeah. saying, I'm a white person and I know the bad things that white people have done. And I'm not going to try to cover that up. I'm not going to try to say it didn't happen. I'm, as a white person, going to use my voice and my privilege to do better, to be better than what we were historically. Um, yeah. You know, I'm not going to sit here and defend colonization and say, no, white people didn't cause mass genocides of of Native Americans and indigenous peoples. Because they did. They did. It's yeah. like fact, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think history oftentimes is, uh, we're taught that there's good and bad. And I think that dichotomy makes it really, really difficult whenever things are great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, you know, uh, heroes, you know, we're taught we're taught about heroes as historical figures are heroes, but heroes are flawed. Uh, you know, that's just, this is why I'm you know I'm watching the the boys and uh, Invincible, uh, these shows about superheroes that show you the dark side of superheroes. Yeah. But like, yeah, they're super strong and they help the world, but like, look at they're also human beings. Uh, and if we're if we don't get comfortable with knowing that like nothing is good or bad. Think a person can be good and a person can be bad, and history can be good and can be bad, and it's a, and it's history is a story of progression and suppression, and we can be comfortable with those two ideas. It's going to make it so much better. And like and look, and I totally understand where like someone calls you privileged, and then you look at your family history and say, "Well, I'm poor." Right. Well, I'm struggling. How dare you call me privileged? I, I totally get it. I totally get it too. And that's because our conversation needs to go from the historical point of like look, look at um, colonialism, imperialism, um, and also acknowledge that like that's one part. And you also need to have like a that's the bird's eye view of history. Yeah. And then you also need to be taught like what happened 60, 50 years ago with economic policy. So you have to combine those two things. And you know, some like like I get when a white person who may not be socioeconomically advantaged says, I'm not privileged. And I would say, yeah, I acknowledge that too. Like you have privilege at some part, and I know you're disprivileged in another. So yeah, you may be white, but maybe, you know, your background is poor farm workers yeah. who were, for lack of a better word, fucked, fucked up because there were rich landowners who maybe maybe they were sharecropping. You know, so like there's a, also the history of like not every white person owned a slave. There were poor white people who at one point coalesced with poor, you know, disadvantaged people of indigenous descent, you know, American Indians, uh, black people, you know, yeah. immigrants. But at some point there was a shift that said it was it's better to align myself with the white identity because of racism. Right. So I think those are very they're tough conversations that I acknowledge and say I have privilege but I also don't have privilege, which is to be hard. And I think, you know, it's one of those things where it's sort of understanding not just the whole, but all the pieces that make up the whole, where I am privileged in being a white a white man, um, 
there is some amount of disprivilege in being a gay man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you break that down even further. I am still a white gay man, which means I still, as that whole, have more privilege than a black trans woman. Yeah. You know? Or a white trans woman. Or a white trans man. Yeah. Like, there's so many parts, and I think it is tough to sort of recognize all those parts and break them down and understand where your power lies over other people and understand how to interact with other people as to not you know push or or put other people down and i think i think a lot of times with certain people there's there's an amount of like almost instinctual like defensiveness of if someone is knocking at a single part of you a single part of your identity it's suddenly like your values all the shields go up and you're just like how dare you? How dare you talk down to me in any sort of way? I'm not bad because I'm this small part of my identity. And it's like, yeah. you're not bad. That's true. You're not bad because of that part of your identity. But you need to recognize that that's part of your identity. And there's bad that goes along with that. And recognize that that exists. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's absolutely difficult to have to look back and say do i own the actions of people in my past i don't have an answer for that you know like i haven't done a deep look into like all of my history so maybe there's people that did bad things in my past but what i the way i like to think about it is learn the history learn lean into discomfort and anger is part of discomfort so i get i get anger right but when anger crosses into violence that's that's different so i think my core thought here is what do we owe to each other as human beings? And remove history, remove, you know, if we just simply are looking at what's happening today, and I love to look at data. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you know that there's particularly people who are experiencing pain, let's help them. Right. We are much stronger as a people when we help those in need. And at the core of all con- politics conversation, that's where I come down to. Like, yeah, we may not agree with the history. Yeah, we may not agree with what is considered racist. So we may not agree on a variety of things. But I would hope that we can agree on is people are in pain. Let's do something to alleviate. I think a good example of that is the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, You think about people who get defensive and say all lives matter. And that defensiveness, it's coming at the price of you know, they're missing the point. The point is, yeah, all lives do matter. People's lives matter. But right now, white people aren't struggling, at least not the way that black people are or other minorities are. We We don't have those same struggles. So understanding that and saying, you know, I'm not dealing with the same problems. I know you are, so I'm gonna help. Yeah, no, I agree, I agree. Um, and you know, I think, Having this sort of podcast um, gives me an ability to use my privilege in a beneficial way of saying, hey, this podcast is run by a white guy who will have voices of people who are from different backgrounds than myself and be able to have them be heard and talk about those, you know, harder topics that make people uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. No, I think, you know, my holding would lean into discomfort, talk to people that have different views than you than you have. Like I said, there's 
a lot of people in this country, there's a lot of people in this world, we're not going to agree on everything. Right. But I hope what we, what we can agree is to say, just like a doctor looks at a patient who has a bleeding wound, says that needs to be taken care of right now, I hope that we can get to that place where we agree that we're never going to agree, but what we can agree is that we owe things to each other. Mm-hmm. We're human beings, uh, and we owe kindness and respect, and we must be committed to those values to prosper um, as a country. I think that the United States really much leads, um, not all the time when it comes to progress, but I think we've made a lot of progress as influenced the world, and we are a more like ethnic country. Yeah. And it, the census shows that. Well, and I think that's beautiful. I mean, we're a country of immigrants. That's what the United States was, you know, founded on, um, you know. We're a, we're a country of immigrants, of enslaved people, and of people who were here before. And, people, yeah. And, and those are the native people. Right. <laughs> it's the asterisk in there. <laughs> no, for, for real, though, for real, though. The, I mean, the asterisk is necessary, you know. We are a country of immigrants, and the people who were brought here unwillingly, and the people that we pushed out of the way, yeah. um, you know, and that makes up the whole of America, I would say, how would you deal with people who have dropped certain values of caring for other people? You know, we've seen it a lot over the past year and a half, especially with the mask debate, which, let's be honest, it shouldn't be a debate. But the idea of someone's personal liberties having to be forfeit to an extent, um to care about other people. And you see people, like, argue and fight and they have stupid fucking bumper stickers that say, fuck your fuck your face, like, I don't want to wear a mask. How do you uh, deal with that? Uh, that's, that's a tough question. Um, I think that, one, uh, be louder, organize, and be comfortable with knowing that you're going to be in a space where people don't agree with you. So if you see something that does you don't like on TV... Speak out against it. Right. You know, post it on Facebook. Talk to your friends. You know, I think posting on Facebook and social media, on Twitter, Instagram, I think it's great. But like, you know, the next time you meet up with your friends and have coffee, like, you know, bring up the conversation. You know, it's uncomfortable to bring up the conversation because when I see my friends, you don't want to talk about things like that. But like, ask. You know, initiate that. Hey, do you want to go to a townhouse meeting? You know, that's something that I also want to push myself. Uh, hopefully, when I can go back to Texas, is just to engage with your your local politics, local government. Mm-hmm. which is really, really important. And secondly, uh, we don't need to fight every fight. Mm-hmm. And if what here is important, it's like, don't, you know, maybe it's not as smart to fight with that red and stream. Right. But if maybe you have a family member who is not there yet on the mask, sit down and talk to them because you're more likely to have more, the potential for change is more likely uh, speaking to a family member than to a random stranger. And you don't know what the exponential value of that could be maybe that individual has uh, a better voice to speak with other people and that's something that also you know from like an academic point it's really important to know the audience to know who the spokespeople are because sometimes a spokesperson is better for another uh, audience Uh, so you have to be smart about that you know maybe it's going to take a conservative person to change a conservative mindset but maybe someone more liberal will change that that person's perspective, who then is going to change someone's perspective. But, right. you know, to just give you a blunt answer on mass mandates, Donald Trump. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Pre- yeah, I have a previous president said, well, I believe in mass, 
seen, the violence is real, we would be in a different play. So for people who say, well, I'm anti-political, politics doesn't matter, yes, it does. And when politics becomes, becomes whenever, you know, political conversations uh, start to permeate your daily lives and start affecting the, the wellness uh, of, for example, children, it's too late. Right. Because that, those rhetoric and those conversations have been seeped into those communities. So that's why I say engage now. Engage now. Uh, so hopefully, like COVID, uh, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, you know, the, pro- the progression of queer rights is going to invite people to, to be part of the system. And our democracy is only as strong if everyone can engage in, in it. And if we remind ourselves that we owe respect and love, we must commit to those values for others. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's definitely a good response just you know have have a louder voice and help other people have louder voices too um and the idea that every mind won't change there will will be minds that don't change there will be my there will be people who dig in so deep um you know i see news reports on it of parents kicking their kids out for over over masks and you know, people getting what? in the fights, yeah. Uh, people getting in the okay, fights not, and, uh, like, just the sheer lunacy. And I think that sort of lends itself to the idea that, especially in media, we see two very extreme ends of the spectrum. You know, everyday people who may uh, be sort of closer to moderate or more... Uh, actually ideal ideologically conservative versus you know right-wing cheeto puff bullshittery uh those people's voices really aren't heard unless they're voting you know they're gonna vote however they vote um but the voices that we do hear are you know more progressive voices aoc bless her soul love her um but at the same time the opposite of end of the spectrum people who are still into QAnon. Was it Mike Trump. Mike Lindell? Yeah, like as yeah, nutty they as they can be. President Trump was going to be. He was going to be like he was supposed to become president on August. Yeah, no, he's been president again for two days. It's insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah and that that to me, you know, it's, it's sad. It's, it's really it's sad because uh, democracies are fragile. Yeah, you know, democracies to me are based on trust, and this is based on me trusting that my vote matters me trusting that the government is going to work and uh, i just think that as a country who has been really stable you know if you look at other countries that have have democracies their democracies have not been as stable as the united states you know uh the transfer of power from you know i think it was jefferson to president adams was huge because it went between two different political parties yeah and you know that at the core is like can i can i shake hands with someone at across the aisle and know that like these culture fights we're having are really important but at the end of the day what everyone wants to do is take care of the children have a barbecue laugh and if you know and if our conversations start going away from those values from respect uh you know i take i take issue i take issue on that i know people care deeply about many issues but we shouldn't uh, disregard our respect to a person at the end of the day that that's an individual Right, someone who, who lives here, um, you know. But I just go back to say, like, more people should be part of the, the conversation because oftentimes people don't know how to engage, so they felt like there's this 
big system that's against that. And it is scary because it is big, you know? <laughs> right. It's just what you have lawyers who like study the Constitution and knowing like the back of the hand. And I, it, as, a, as, a, as a person who doesn't have the time to do all that work, I think we should have a more transparent government, right? Like, how do we make it more accessible for people to go to town halls to speak with their representatives to express their, their opinion? And that's something that we need to continue to improve to maintain the democracy. I agree. Um, speaking on sort of our democracy and other democracies around the world, I've, you know, I always see Facebook posts about how European countries are, people from other countries are basically being like, wow, the United States is kind of a shit show right now. I think some of that is just because the United States is a world leader um, and our media coverage goes everywhere. We, like, yeah. the world sees what happens here. Um, but at the same time, it's sort of naive to think that the same stuff isn't happening everywhere else. Um, there's a story, uh, I don't know if you had heard of Day X. So I had listened to a podcast, uh, done by The Daily and they had done a series of podcasts following Day X, which started in Germany, um, about 2016, Sort of same thing that was going on here, where uh, people in the military were being radicalized, um, and people in law enforcement were being radicalized, and it basically grew into this huge domestic terrorist plot to cause Day X, which they saw as basically the downfall of democracy in Germany. And wow. sort of the podcast followed, it was like four, five episodes... It's very interesting. You should listen to it. Um, but following all these different players in this, the guy who ended up getting arrested and charged for part of the plot, the rest of the people haven't even been charged. But it's sort of, you know, they ended up probing the military and being like, okay, we need to look for people who have sort of extreme views. And, yeah. you, I mean, you, we saw that this year and part of last year where mm -hmm. they started probing the U.S. military for extreme and controversial views that could be dangerous. Yeah. Um, and I remember listening to that and thinking, oh my gosh, this is really happening everywhere. You know, political divides, they're, they are not just here. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you bring that up because I hope COVID is a, a great equalizer that every country experiences similar issues like homelessness, access to education, criminal justice, you know, right. reproductive rights. Those aren't just American issues or American conversations. They happen all over the world. And, you know, I'm at the mindset of a cosmopolitan, uh, like, view, like a global view that, you know, we're, we're becoming more connected. I know a hundred years ago, you couldn't get on a flight to travel out across the world. Now you can. You know, a hundred years ago, right. you couldn't chat with someone virtually uh, on the other side of the country. You know, have conversations like Google Translate. I think we're become, we're de we're destroying those divisions, and I think we can get to the point that we realize that we're more similar than we we think we are when it comes to American politics and American governance. Uh, you know, we are the city upon the hill, and right. people do watch. You know, English is the language of commerce. You know, and what we do here matters and it ripples across across the world. 
So this is why, to me, like, what we, this is why, for me, American democracy is important. It is important that we protect uh, the right to vote, that we don't uh, discriminate against people, and that we ensure that everyone can have their voice heard, because those are strong values that should be replicated across, across the world. And unfortunately, there's people that live in countries where their rights are suppressed. Right. And that's something that we shouldn't take for yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, I, I, I find myself listening to more news, news-based podcasts just about what's going on in the world, um, yeah. what's going on in Afghanistan with, you know, the Taliban, what's going on in, uh, like, a lot of North African countries. It's just the world is constantly in motion, and now we have the, the ability to see it. Yeah. Um, Funny enough, you had mentioned marriage equality earlier, and I was actually in South Korea whenever marriage equality was passed. Wow. Yeah. My my mom calls me, and she's like, did you see? Did you see? And I'm like, mom, this is a long-distance call. Like, <laughs> this is a lot of money. It was really important. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think we now, as a species, really, have... The ability to, you know, work with each other and talk to each other and help each other out. And it's just a matter of doing it. It's a matter of doing it and a matter of either putting people in power who are willing to do it or convincing those who are already there that it needs to happen. Because, I mean, let's face it, what's going on right now isn't sustainable. Yeah, and I think we we, we touched on privilege, um, like, earlier in the conversation, Mm-hmm. And we, like we, we talked about like you know American exceptionalism, you know exceptionalism. Right. And I think a great example is what we're experiencing right now with the COVID pandemic. America is privileged among other uh, industrialized countries, countries that have top economies, um, because we have access to the vaccine. Meanwhile, you know Delta is here in the United States, but Delta is also all across the world, and right. the virus is still ripping through vaccines. So, you know, I think this is a great example as to why, one, Americans should, you know, be happy that we have the vaccine. We shouldn't be against science because there's other countries in the world that really deeply need uh, access to a vaccine. And this pandemic won't be over until everyone is vaccinated. Right. And so that also trickles into why am I paying more for the general goods? Well, it's because as a global economy, the United States depends on other countries to produce things, yeah. you know, you know, imports, right? Like, we don't like, make everything here, and it would be almost impossible to make everything in the United like States. There's a reason why your shirt says made in China. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, on that same thing, we, you know, we see the WHO uh, putting out, you know, memos saying, hey, for people in, you know, first world countries for people who have been able to get the vaccine readily yeah don't don't worry about a booster right now like don't stress about a booster right now because right now we need to take care of all the people who can't readily get vaccines yeah i think yeah i think it's sort of the epitome of privilege and honestly narcissism to have people in the united states you know, I'd say by now a majority of people have gotten the vaccine, um, but there's still enough that it's an issue that haven't. 
people who are refusing to get the vaccine when there's more than enough here to get it. Yeah. And they're like, I'm not going to let you stick me with that microchip. I'm just like, you don't want a microchip? Destroy your phone. Like, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Go live off the grid. Like, I think those people, like, once you explain to them, like, gee, like, how much companies have control over your data and GPS, like, that's a, that's a lot scarier. Like, that, that's right. a different conversation. Right. But, you know, I think it all comes down to trust in the government. Um, you know, everyone has a different experience. You know, maybe someone had a really bad experience with the government system or government yeah. department. And, you know, they're, they, don't, they don't like it. And, and I get that. But I think as the, the pandemic specifically is, you know, the other day I was thinking, like, oh, can we just, all the vaccines that people don't want, can we just send them elsewhere? They need it. Like, honestly. Can people change their mind. But then I think about, oh, that become a different whole political issue. Like, right. Oh, we're giving away all of, all of our vaccines. But, like, you know, I come back to my point, like, what do we owe each other? Like, what do I owe a stranger? And I think that's what politics deeply comes down to. Because, you know, we're Americans in the country. You know, we live in the United States uh, of America. But not everyone's my friend. Right. right? So, like, everyone right. is a stranger. So, why do I care about a stranger? So, that's just a deep, like, a, a, a intrinsic, like, human value of respect yeah. and love. I mean, it's literally just human to give a shit about people yeah well that's what it, that's you know i feel like that's what differentiates from different animals you know there's some animals that have an emotional process they both look at look at age look at elephants look at dolphins um but i think that's what makes humans a lot different is our ability to adapt our ability to use tools but now that we've progressed to a point it's like what do we do with that intelligence right you know, that intelligence is you know uh, associated with disrespect and not caring for other people then we're not really tapping into our, our, our full potential and you know in the 21st century when people still don't have access to water but what happened in Flint, Michigan when people you know something I was thinking about right now is like oh I live in a city I've always had access to internet well not always you know I grew up with, without internet but what Dial about up. people that live in rural areas without internet right right um, I mean thankful infrastructure bills are getting passed Slowly. Yeah. So that's why I get mad when we have uh, culture wars that are just about culture. Yeah. Like, what can people wear? Because there's a bazillion other issues that need to be taken care of. But if we're just really, really focused with, I don't like you because you make me wear a mask, or I don't like you because you were born a certain gender and I want you to adhere to that gender right. identity, like, I don't like, care. If you pay your taxes and are kind to other people, I don't care what you do. It's like, I don't like you because I want you to respect me enough to call me something. Like, or other way around. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you you got what I meant. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I also acknowledge that I'm an immigrant. So, like, my whole, I, I can't vote. So, like, my whole experience is just watching as an outsider in the political system who has lived his whole life, almost his whole life here. And I look, I look forward to the right to vote. And I, this is why I, um, I'm a huge advocate and I'm learning uh, to be a better advocate when it comes to protecting a person's right to vote because you want to make sure people are in the system so they feel like caring about other people. Yeah. I mean, I think that's extremely admirable. Honestly, I do. Um, just having seen and had conversations with so many people who said, oh, my vote doesn't matter. And it's just like, 
I think you underestimate how much your vote matters and how much anyone who doesn't have the right to vote would would love for the right to vote, would give anything for the right to vote. And it's sort of, it's one of those things that's just sort of taken for granted. Um, like the fact that you used to be 21 to vote. Huh? Right? Like yeah. the fact that you used to be 21 to vote. Right. Right. And like, I often wonder like, what were the conversations been progressed when the progress was being made? And I often have to remind myself like, oh, there was discomfort a hundred years ago. And you know, we read history books and we have to remember that we are history. Yeah. What you do now goes down in history books. So if you think that like what I'm, what you're arguing is too progressive or will never happen, think about what people were experiencing when the civil rights were back, you know, when uh, women fought for the right to vote. Uh, they were probably also wondering the same thing. This is too much to happen. But if no one said it, no one fought for it, and we, no, and they weren't as consistent, things wouldn't have happened. So if history is being written every single day. Be discomfort, you know, be embarrassed. Right. Go back to the topic. <laughs> be embarrassed. Like, it's okay. It's okay if someone's going to look at you and say, well, you're freaking crazy. Like, it's, it is going to be an uncomfortable, it's going to be uncomfortable for a long time. It may be uncomfortable forever. Yeah. The, the idea is like, yeah, it's uncomfortable. Deal with it. Do something about it. (laughs) You know, don't just ignore it. It's still going to be uncomfortable. Even if you ignore it, it's just going to be uncomfortable enough to like, you know, make your life worse. Right. No, it's very true. Well, thank you very much for joining me. On Thank this you for inviting me, Lovely podcast. I did want to share a story, a non-political yeah. story, just to end off with another embarrassing story that involved both of us. Oh, wow. Oh, I don't think I cleared the story. Did you not? <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Uh, I'm embarrassed right now. <laughs> you should be. No, I'm just kidding. It was a fun night. Um, I don't know how much of you, how much of this you'll actually remember. Which probably isn't a great way to start it. It's just eyes, eyes go big and wide. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm, just, I'm here just to go. Please, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was like it was probably four years ago or so now. I'd gone to Austin, and we were planning on going out and about. And at the time, certain people couldn't drink, so there was a certain amount of pre gaming, and I'm not gonna say who because you know, um. And I just remember getting into an Uber or a Lyft and we're on our way out to 6th Street and we we are probably a block away. We had the nicest Lyft driver. She was so sweet. We're probably a block away and then all of a sudden I see your arm go up past my face. I'm like sitting in the front seat. You're sitting in the backs. And your arm goes past your my face and you're just like, can you hold this? And immediately I was like, wait, what? What the hell happened? (laughs) Because prior to getting into this lift, you were completely fine. (laughs) Like, 100% fine. The moment we we got dropped off, I was carrying you. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that night. I really do. Um, I don't think we actually went into any bars. (laughs) No, we did not. Because I carried you about four blocks um we got to one of the only bars that we were planning on going to and the bouncer was like yeah no he can't come in here 
And I'm like, yeah, I figured. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we... under 21 night. Yeah. We immediately got into another lift and went back. <laughs> went back. Yeah, and I, I think this is a story as to why I don't drink whiskey. Yeah, I mean... Which I think it was Jack Daniels. It was really good. It was a big bottle of Jack. Yeah. This is why I don't drink whiskey. I just ate up margaritas. I can, I can tell how many margaritas I can have now. But that's the story why I don't have whiskey. Well, you know, we've all been there. Um, typically we... I'm super happy you were there. Yeah. You, were, you helped me. <laughs> I mean, I would have... I would have been really concerned for you if I had not been there. <laughs> um, that was definitely an interesting experience and one for the history books. And, yeah, I mean, despite all of that, it was a blast. It was a great weekend. We yeah, ended up doing nothing the next day. But recovery. Oh, I think, I'm trying to remember what I did. I think we just chilled. Because yeah. you, you were, like, dead, basically. Yeah, I, mean, I just remember, like, curling up on the sofa and being like, I'm sorry you came to visit me and all we're doing is watching. And I was like, this, I mean, this is chill. This is chill. I I don't need to I don't need to party hardy to have fun, you know. Chilling is fine, like villains. Chilling like villains. <laughs> More of the story is have good friends who take care of Indeed, indeed. If if you won't have a friend carry you four blocks to a bar before taking you home, <laughs> then then you don't need that friend. But yes. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for Thank you. your takes. And, you know, this has been a good conversation. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, sir. Very welcome. Um, before we finish, do you have an Instagram or anything that you would like to share? Oh, yeah. You can uh, follow me on Twitter at S, you know, that lower bar, C-R-V-N-S-T-S. Nice. If you want. Nice. And if you'd like to follow the podcast on Instagram, it is BL underscore unsaid. And if you'd like to send me an email with conversation topics or anything like that, you can send it to betterleftunsaid.podcast at gmail.com. And if you, we, you can find us and listen to us on uh, iTunes, Spotify, and really anything else. If you want to leave a review, you can leave it on iTunes. If you want to leave a one-star review, just skip iTunes and send it directly to me via email because I will definitely pay attention to it more. Um, And, you know, why, why leave it on iTunes? But, yes, thank you very much for joining us, and we will bid you adieu. Bye!